Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast, everybody. I'm Joe Castellano. We're brought to you, as always, by Kane's Tire in San Rafael, California, where they have had the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Well, today's guest is going to be the analyst on the Tuesday night Mavericks-Warriors game on TNT. Stan Van Gundy is doing a spectacular job as an analyst these days with TNT. He'll be calling the game with Kevin Harlan, and he is a former NBA coach. Of course, coached a number of teams, the Miami Heat, the Orlando Magic, the New Orleans Pelicans most recently after he was with the Detroit Pistons, also as their president of basketball operations. So we're going to talk about the Warriors, the NBA, what it's like to be an NBA coach these days, and even his relationship with his brother, Jeff Van Gundy, who is now with ESPN. Here's a conversation I had on Tuesday morning with Stan Van Gundy. Stan, thank you so much for joining me. You're on the call of the Warriors-Mavericks game on Tuesday night. Uh, how's the season been going for you so far? Well, it's been good. I mean, you know, I think anytime uh, you're back out watching games in the NBA, it's, uh, it's fun. Yeah, and you, uh, you work with different partners, a lot with Brian Anderson. Uh, you're working with Kevin Harlan tonight. Uh, you know, tell us what's it like as an analyst switching partners, kind of getting used to the rhythm that they have. Well, you know what? It, it's really no adjustment uh, for me, Joe. It, those guys are the pros. Um, it's something my brother had told me when I got into doing this, that, that the real pros are the play-by-play guys, and, and they sort of run the whole broadcast, and it allows guys like me to, to just, you know, talk basketball like I would if I was watching a game at home with, a, uh, with, with friends. So uh, all these guys are so good uh, that they make my job really, really easy. What have you learned from working with those guys? What, what are some of the most important parts of being an analyst, you think? Well, I, I mean, I've learned a great deal. You know, I started with, with Ian Eagle uh, a few years back, and he taught me a lot, and then with Brian, and I haven't been with Kevin a lot, um, but those guys have all taught me things. And, and I think, um, you know, one of the biggest ones is to try to make my points more concisely it, it's still something that i'm working on i tend to be uh, verbose <laughs> and uh you know you don't really have time on a broadcast and I, I try to make sure that i'm giving them room um to call the game not getting in the way of the play-by-play and i do still step on them from time to time but uh, but i hopefully am getting better with that um you know so that they can do their jobs and 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 really run the broadcast. You know, the thing I love about you and your brother, Jeff, and I'm not sure if either one of you have been told by producers to do this, but you're just yourself. I mean, you guys have your personality, and you're not trying to put on anything phony on the air. Is that something that you were told? Like, hey, you know, just be yourself. You know, I I, I don't think necessarily I was told that. I just think that, you know, again, the first partner I worked with was, was Ian Eagle, and he sort of let me be myself, and we had an easy um, rapport and, and had some fun. And I, I think Brian then, when I started working with him, was the same way. Like, we really 
like each other and enjoy working together. And it, um, you know, gives me a chance to, to just be myself. And then I think the producers I've worked with, um, you know, are the same way. They don't, they don't try to put you in a box. And, and I think we all realize from the producers and directors, you know, down to, to us broadcasting the game is, it's sports. It's fun. And I think more than anything, uh, we want to show that what we're doing is fun. The game we're broadcasting is enjoyable. We're lucky to be there doing it. And hopefully we convey that to the listeners um, that this is fun. That, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not saving the world or even trying to. <laughs> we're just trying to have some fun and enjoy a game. And, and I think that does uh, hopefully come through in all of our broadcasts. It always looked like the Warriors were having fun. I mean, when they've won these titles, it looks like they've enjoyed themselves. But this is a different season, Stan. I mean, when it starts out where you have a player punching another player and Draymond Green and Jordan Poole, how did the Warriors not allow that preseason incident between those two players fracture the team chemistry? Because they look like they're starting to play a lot better lately. Well, yeah, I, I don't really think that even had a lot to do um, with their start. I really don't. I, I think, look... You know, those kind of things are unfortunate. Um, they happen a lot more than, um, than people think. Um, I don't know that I've ever been through an NBA training camp uh, in the years that I coached as an assistant and a head coach where there wasn't a fight. So, you know, I think the difference is now we're in the social media generation and, and people didn't used to see the fight. So I've seen worse than what I saw in the Warriors camp. And I think those guys know each other. So Jordan Poole and, and the rest of the players on Golden State, especially the core guys, they know who Draymond Green is. Um, and these things happen occasionally. I, I don't think that affected them. I think what's affected them is their bench is a totally different group of people than it was a year ago. And it has neither the NBA experience, nor the institutional knowledge of Golden State's system that last year's bench unit had. So that's where I think they have really struggled. Um, they have been a little bit better lately, um, but they're still struggling on the defensive end, particularly on the road. Do you like what Steve Kerr did recently where he put Draymond Green in for more minutes with the second unit to try to shake that up? I mean, it looked like something had to be done, right? Yeah, I actually did like it a lot because I thought that the primary problem with that second unit was at the defensive end of the floor, and Draymond Green's not only an outstanding defender in his own right, uh, he's a great defensive communicator he's the quarterback of that defense and I think having somebody like him out there with those younger guys to direct traffic um, and help those guys uh, makes a big difference how much does it help and maybe even sometimes hurt the team the way dream Draymond uh, you know acts around officials he you know he's just so intense I mean you don't want to lose that intensity but at the same time I just wonder about getting calls when he's always on the officials yeah look I, I mean 
Is it ideal? No, it's not. But but I think that people maybe expect miracles almost. Like like <laughs> look, the reason that Draymond Green is as good as he is in large part is because of his competitiveness and intensity. And so he's sort of always walking that line um, of maybe going too far. And occasionally he is going to go too far, but you don't want to back that guy off too much because those are his strengths. That's what makes him who he is. And you don't want to send him into a game where his overriding focus is to back off the intensity. Um, you're just going to have to live with some technical fouls. You're going to have to live with maybe occasionally a loss of focus. So I don't think that happens a lot with him. Um, the positives far outweigh the negatives with Draymond Green's intensity. And there are no perfect players, and, and this is who he is. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you could see, you know, he he has the fight with uh, Poole. He you know, he had that incident with Kevin Durant. You wonder, oh, what kind of a teammate is he? But on the other hand, I mean, the way he talks to his teammates, just recently he gave some advice to Clay Thompson about patience, and apparently that has worked out fairly well because Clay looks like he is more of a patient player. So, I mean, just having that kind of a teammate, uh, like you said, it kind of offsets everything else, doesn't it? Well, it does. And look, I think that sometimes um, people judge teammates uh, in the wrong way. Same way I think sometimes they judge coaches in the wrong way. So, you know, uh, a teammate, a good teammate is one that helps the other people play well and helps the, the team play well. And that's how it should be measured, not by how well-liked somebody is all of the time. I, you know, there's some very well-liked guys in the league who probably don't push people um, to better performances and things like that. So, yeah, there's going to be blow-ups at times. There's probably going to be times where people don't like Draymond Green's approach. I, I think that, you know, when people watch the last dance about Jordan and the Bulls, it was evident that a lot of Bulls players didn't like Michael Jordan's approach at times. But that's not the issue. The issue is how they affect team play. And while Michael Jordan certainly a level above Draymond Green, Draymond Green affects the team in very, very positive ways. And that's what counts. It's not, you know, we're not running a popularity contest here. Teams like Golden State are trying to win championships, um, and that's what it's all about. I mentioned Clay briefly there, and for a while, for me, watching him stand, it just looked like he was living and dying with every shot. Now, I don't know that you can, you can go along that way and, and survive mentally, and it seems like he's kind of calmed down lately. What have you seen as far as Clay this season? Well, the ball started to go in the basket, yeah. you know, and, and, and so – the measure of whether he's calmed down um, will come when he goes into his next slump and, and all shooters go through them. Yeah. But I do think if people have to understand that when slumps come at the beginning, 
beginning of the year, they get magnified. Because I don't care what sport you're in. It's the same with hitters in, in baseball. So yeah. you go through a slump mid-season, and you might see your three-point percentage go from 43, and it may dip down to 36 or 37 if you go through a bad slump. Just like a hitter in baseball might go from 320 down to 280. But when you start the year in a slump, well, then it's an entirely, you know, an entirely different thing. So Clay Thompson in the first 12 games was shooting 35% from the floor and 33% from three. That's not bringing down a percentage. That's the percentage that's showing up on the stat sheet. And I think both for players themselves and for fans, that's just a different psyche. Because now you're not saying that play has shot 35% over the last 10 games, which brings his percentage down to 38 or 39. Now you're saying this is what the guy's shooting. And I think now as Clay brings that percentage up, it'll make it easier to survive the next slump that he'll have, and hopefully it'll be a shorter one. How about him not looking at Twitter as much? I heard that that was another uh, sort of you know piece of advice that he got, and, and I, I think that maybe is helping him. What, what do you think? Because some of these guys go right back to their phone after a game's over, and that can't feel good if you're in a slump. No, absolutely right. And I think it's the you know, proliferation of social media has been a big issue for players in the league. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and it puts more pressure on them. And they're reading a lot of negative things. And I think getting away from that is, is probably one of the best things uh, that a player can do. So the Warriors, we were talking about their second unit, and there were a certain amount of expectations for James Wiseman, and now he's in the G League right now. And Kamenga, who's getting more playing time lately, and Moody, who really isn't getting hardly any playing time. So what do you think about these younger guys and, and what's happening with them with the Warriors? Well, look, I, I don't think it's a, if there's really a negative. Um, I think what happens is they're – they're out there as a group. There's a lot of young players out there together, and so there's no guidance. It's why I said I thought the move with Steve Kerr to have Draymond Green out there with them helps them a lot because Draymond's a great communicator. He has great knowledge of the system, and he can help those guys. I think last year when those young guys played, you know, it might have been Kuminga and Jordan Poole out there with Gary Payton II, who's not only a great defender, but had great institutional knowledge of what was going on, an experienced guy in Otto Porter Jr., uh, maybe a Bielitsa. So there was experience around those guys. Now, you know, early in the year, they were trying to play Wiseman and Moody and and Kaminga, Jordan Poole in that lineup, like, there's not enough balance of experience there. And so I think what Steve is doing is fantastic. I think it'll pay dividends. And I think you'll see those guys improve uh, as the season goes on. Well, more with Stan Van Gundy from TNT right after this.
When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415-453-2942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. Speaking of experience, I mean, the experienced guys, I mean, right now, Steph Curry is, he might be playing his best basketball, which is hard to say that because the guy is unbelievable. And then you have Andrew Wiggins, who has really stepped up. Um, You know, he was an all-star last year. I thought he kind of had his ups and downs the second half of the year, but he seems to really be blossoming at this point. What do you think about the way Curry's playing and, and also Wiggins and what he has meant to the Warriors? Look, what Curry's doing is amazing. I, I don't know what's more incredible um, is that a guy who has, who's quite possibly the best shooter we've seen in the NBA, in the NBA, he's having the best shooting year of his career. That's backed up statistically. You look at his effective field goal percentage, it's the highest of his career. His total field goal percentage is the highest of his career. So that's amazing. But what really amazes me, Joe, is a guy who's approaching 35 years old still has the energy and stamina to move without the ball better than any point guard we've ever seen in the league. I mean, he Mm -hmm. just has not slowed down. There's no doubt in my mind that right now, now we're only 21 games in, but he's having very possibly the best year of his career, which is is mind-boggling. And Andrew Wiggins, it's sort of amazing to me, and I know – Curry Thompson and Draymond Green have been the core guys and they've been together throughout this whole run. And I think because of that, Wiggins gets overlooked. I I hear people talk about, you know, the big three and I'm saying, well, wait a minute. For the last two and a quarter years now, a quarter of a way into this year, the last two and a quarter years, it's pretty clear that Andrew Wiggins has been the second best player on this roster. Um, You know, and yet he isn't looked at that way. He's looked at as the number four guy, and it's really not fair. I mean, you look at it right now, um, in comparison to, say, Clay Thompson right now, Wiggins is averaging more points, more rebounds, more assists, more steals, and shooting a better percentage from the floor and from the three-point line and yet we're acting like he's the fourth-best player. It, it, it's really incredible. You know, I wonder if that helps him, Stan, because he has this uh, attitude now. He seems more motivated, and I wonder if that's because he's not the number one guy like he was in Minnesota. I, I don't know, but do you think it was more about attitude for him because he is a much better player now than he used to be? Well, but it's also maturity and growth. He's 27 now. Mm-hmm. You know, he... he he came over to the Warriors, you know, at 24 um, and played the last two years at 25 and 26. He's growing. And he's also an outstanding defender. So, look, this guy's really, really good. He was very deservedly an all-star last year. I do think you're right that he struggled a little bit in the second half of the year. You know, he and Clay Thompson had never 
played together until Clay came back in February last year. I think that took a little bit of an adjustment on Wiggins' part, but, you know, right now he, he's playing unbelievable basketball. I mean, averaging nine, over 19 points, shooting 50% from the floor and 44 from three um, while taking on a big defensive role. Um, Andrew Wiggins is a hell of a player. Absolutely. Uh, on the other side of it, on Tuesday night, you're going to get to see Luka Doncic, 23 years old. He's putting up numbers that are comparable to what Oscar Robertson did early in his career. So I, I guess the sky is the limit for this guy. What do you think of him? Well, I don't think there's anybody that does more for their team on the offensive end of the floor. Um, no one that carries a bigger load. Uh, than Luka Doncic does. I mean, he's leading the league in minutes played, um, playing 37 minutes a game. He's leading the league in scoring. You know, he's fourth in assists. Um, he's sixth in steals. He's second in free throws made. Um, you know, and he's shooting 50%, over 50% from the floor. The only place he struggled at all is from three. You know, he's only shooting 31% from three, but everything else has simply been incredible. I mean, I think I've said it before, and I'm convinced he's the best all-around offensive player in the NBA. Um, you know, his ability to score, create shots for for other people, uh, you know, and, and the, just the amount, the load he carries is incredible. I mean, for this team to be where they are, and they're not where people wanted them to be, they're a game under 500, but his supporting cast has struggled in a big way. I mean, you've got, you've got guys, you know, shooting career lows. I mean, Bullock and Hardaway, both their field goal percentage and their three-point percentage are career lows. Cleaver's three-point percentage is a career low. Finney Smith's three-point shooting is the lowest he's had in four years. I mean, and yet they're hanging in there right now. They, like the Warriors, are struggling on the road. I mean, that's where it's come down. The Warriors 2-9 and nine on the road. Dallas 1-7 and seven on the road. They both just struggled when they've had to leave their own building. So Jason Kidd has a challenge there. And, you know, so it's interesting when you think about all sports, Stan, it's hard for great players to be great coaches. It seems like Kidd has done a really good job. Uh, but why is that? Why do you think it is in all sports that the guy who was a superstar player is not always the best coach? Well, I don't know. First of all, I don't think many of them um, go into coaching, you know, I, and I thought, you know, I mean, Larry Bird, I thought, you know, he didn't stay with it long. Yeah. Um, I don't think he enjoyed it, but he did a great job in Indiana. I think Jason Kidd is an outstanding coach. I thought he came in last year and really turned around Dallas's defense. Um, so I'm not sure, Joe, that I really even buy that. You just don't see a lot of them, of the true stars, go into coaching. I mean, part of it's pretty simple. They make so much money in their playing careers, they don't need to do it. Um, you know, and I also think their frustration level maybe, uh, it, it grows quicker than it does with, uh, either guys who didn't play or, or who didn't have the level of success. But, 
I'm cer- I certainly think we've seen guys have success um, that were great players. And, and I think Jason Kidd, um, you know, what he did last year was tremendous. Right now, you know, both he and Steve Kerr have struggles right now. And so Steve was voted, you know, one of the top 15 coaches in NBA history and very deservedly so. And, and they're, you know, the Warriors are two and nine on the road this year, you know, with basically no injury problems. I mean, they've been one of the healthiest teams in the league and they can trot out a championship starting five plus Jordan Poole every night and and yet they're struggling so so those things come and I think over 82 games uh both of these teams will right the ship um but at different levels Golden State's a championship contender to me Dallas had a nice run last year but they're they're not ready to contend at that level what are the biggest challenges now as a head coach compared to maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago? Look, I mean, you coached some superstars. You had Shaq early on, Dwayne Wade, Dwight Howard. And, you know, you look at a situation like what happened in Brooklyn and, you know, you had the Kyrie situation. You got to deal with something like that. There's just a lot of stress for a coach, especially these days, it seems like, with a lot of the drama that goes on. Yeah, I, I don't, again, I'm not sure. Joe, that things have really changed a lot. I think what's changed is the media and especially social media. So, so much more is out there now. Um, You know, before, yeah, in places like New York and Philly, you know, you had to deal with the beat writers. And at times, you know, they would write negative stuff, but it wasn't. 24-7 24-7 in every little situation being magnified. And, and I think that's become the biggest challenge, not only for coaches, but we already talked about it, but with players also. You know, you, you just, you're reading about negativity literally all the time. And so if you don't choose to stay away from it, um, it can become very, very difficult because I don't really think the players themselves are, are any different than they were. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, you still you have your star players, and they're going to be treated a little differently, right? I mean, you, you can't treat every player the same. Well, no, and, and never have you treated every player the same. And it's not just a matter of, you know, their level of play and, you know, how good they are. It's just every person – is different and responds differently to, you know, things. And so that has to be weighed in, in everything that you do. I, I think the trust that has to be gained um, is that players on the team realize that whatever it is the coach is doing, it's for the betterment of the team. It's all about the team. And of course, Steve Kerr is going to coach Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry differently than he's going to coach some of the young guys. So um, that that's nothing new. Um, it's going to be for all time. That's the way things are. Um, but everybody's got to realize it's it's all about the team. 
All right, to finish up, Stan, I was curious about just growing up, you and your brother Jeff, the relationship you guys had, uh, you know, especially with basketball uh, as kids, and then, you know, how that has evolved and the relationship that you have now, both as broadcasters. Well, I mean, Jeff has, you know, growing up was my, was my best friend, and outside of my wife still is <laughs> my best friend, and... You know, we had very similar interests growing up. Um, we both went into coaching and then into broadcasting, so we've always had a lot to talk about. Um, a lot of it's outside of basketball, too, but, you know, within the profession, we've always had each other to bounce ideas off of. Um, you know, and for me, even though I'm older, um, you know, Jeff was a head coach before I was in the NBA, um, though I'd been a head coach in college, but he had been head coach in the NBA before I was. Obviously, he had a lot of years of broadcast experience uh, before I got into it, so um, I've been able to go to him uh, for advice throughout my career in the NBA, both as a uh, head coach and as a broadcaster, because he's been you know, he's been ahead of me in both of those areas. So you guys grew up in Martinez, California. Were you Warriors fans as kids? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, was my sophomore year in high school uh, when the Warriors won the championship in 1975. Oh. And, um, you know, I mean, that was just a great, great time. And But, you know, very much a different time. You know, you're, you're talking you know, 47 years ago. And, and, and so, you know, we didn't have Sports Center and NBA TV. And, you know, we had some games on TV, not every single one, um, as you know. And then, you know, you'd read the article in the paper or you'd listen to games on the radio. I mean, that's how, how you had to follow teams um, was different then than it is now but i don't think fans were any less rabid um it just wasn't as as easy to get information i'm glad you mentioned that warriors team this is my last question the 1975 warriors team that won it all rick barry of course part of that team and he shot his free throws underhanded and i'm curious if you're surprised that nobody's ever really been successful at trying to do that i mean hardly anybody's even tried to do that in the nba yeah not for a long time i mean i remember rick barry got george johnson to do it um <laughs> with those teams way back when you know uh look rick because i i had obviously coached three subpar free throw shooters um in my head coaching <laughs> career Shaq and dwight howard and then Andre Drummond, and in, at, at all three of those stops, uh, Rick Barry reached out and, you know, wanted to help those guys and wanted them to shoot underhand and was was very forceful about the fact that they should do that and not disagreeing that it, you know, that it would have helped them. Um, but, you know, guys have to be willing to do it, and I think, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, um, you know, the looks of it, whatever it is, ego, whatever it is, 
you know, no one has been willing um, to do it. And does it surprise me? Not totally, knowing the players that I've known. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point one of these subpar guys um, took it up. Yeah. You have nothing to lose. <laughs> That's it's kind of the way to look at it. Stan, thank you so much for the time. Really, really appreciate it. And I uh, can't wait for our paths to cross again. Have a great call of the Warriors-Mavericks game on Tuesday night. Thanks, Joe. That's Stan Van Gundy. He'll be at the microphone on Tuesday night in Dallas, Warriors and Mavericks, along with Kevin Harlan on the call on TNT. Join us again next time for another edition of the Sports Virus Podcast. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.